Welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast, where today's brightest minds in the medical device industry go to get their most useful and actionable insider knowledge, direct from some of the world's leading medical device experts and companies. If you're a medical device professional, what does your EQMS, what's it doing for you? If it's paper-based, I can tell you what it's not doing, and that's helping you accelerate the delivery of your life-changing medical devices to patients who need them most. Paper-based quality management system, it, it always sounds like a uh, oxymoron. How is your QA team going to achieve true quality if they're still chasing engineers for signatures or searching for the needle in a stack of papers? Greenlight Guru is the only quality and product development platform designed and to support medical device companies throughout their commercialization journey. That's because we're from the medical device industry ourselves. If you're looking to deliver high-quality, life-saving devices to market on an average of three times faster, contact Greenlight Guru today to start the conversation. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. My name is Etienne Nichols, and I'm the host of today's episode. In today's episode, we spoke with Jon Bergsteinson on the topic of medtech lifecycle excellence. So I'd use his Icelandic pronunciation of his last name for this one, but I do in the episode because he's there to coach me. But this was a bit of a different conversation for me. We talked about why the state of medtech culture and tools are the way that they are. What's the point of moving away from generic compliance towards the ideology of medtech lifecycle excellence? We also talked about how can medtech professionals start to see across the entire lifecycle of their device instead of focusing on the single aspect in which then maybe that they're an expert, such as clinical or design controls, and so much more. Yon is a medtech professional. He's an expert in the clinical affairs space. Yon is the founder of Smart Trial, and he is actively involved in educating and helping the medtech industry get safe and effective devices to market faster and more efficiently. So without further ado, please enjoy this episode with Yon on the topic of medtech lifecycle excellence. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. Today with me is... Okay, I'm mean, here. We go, Jon Bergstenson. Yes, very good, oh, very good Etienne. So good to be back with you. So uh, we talked about whether or not we go with English versus Icelandic. I always let's just go on, and uh, and yeah. and I'll let you decide that on your own some other time. But I'm excited to be with you today. To you know, we talked a little bit about what we're uh, we wanted to have a conversation about, and one of the big conversations that we're having with a lot of different people is is something that we've turned the med tech life cycle excellence, just kind of that, what is that medtech life cycle excellence? How do you achieve medtech life cycle excellence? And just to kind of preface mm-hmm. this conversation, you know, we, we have sort of repositioned ourselves, Greenlight Guru and the, the offerings that we have to try to fill a void that the medtech industry has experienced for a long time. But I won't just dive right into that. I wanted to get your thoughts on uh, what you've seen in the industry and your experience. I know you've you've seen a lot of different things and maybe we can kind of start the conversation there. Yeah, thanks for having me, Etienne. It's a very good starting point because it's a conversation that you know we've had internally, but also um, on my side of my, my team for years. Uh, and I think to start off and frame it a little bit, we need to look at the life science industry a little bit differently because when you, when you well, when you start working in medtech and if you have experience from other parts of the life science industry, you start to realize how different it is from pharmaceuticals and, and other similar, uh, you know, product developments like, you know, biotech, for example, because 
medical devices and medtech in general is very much influenced by people. The way that we use it, the way we apply it in practice, and the way that we um, conduct research, the way we develop and design them is very differently from what you're used to in other parts of the life science industry. So a big, uh, well, a big uh, characteristic of the medtech industry is that it is very often low budgets or companies within the medtech industry tend to have lower budgets than what you see otherwise in pharmaceuticals. There are multiple reasons for that, which heavily influences how they run their organizations. So me being in the medtech industry now so far for at least uh, 11 years, uh, if there's one thing that I've learned is that medtech companies, they care about every single dime, right? If there's a decision to be made, whether it's design control or you know quality management or clinical, like every single dime is being counted for. And Metric Europe uh, has been doing this survey every year where they've real where they've demonstrated that 95% of the industry is small and medium enterprises. So we're not talking about Johnson and Johnson and, and, and Philips and all the big ones, but most of the companies are small and medium enterprises. And because of that fact. The way that they've been run is very much startup bootstrap light. Mm. So these companies have been acquiring, you know, consultants and services from pharmaceuticals, non-pharmaceutical industries to support them with the different areas of the medical device lifecycle. And when I got first introduced to the medtech lifecycle excellence ideology, there was a light bulb that turned on in my head. I'm like, wow, this is the reason why we have been struggling for so long in the industry. Because medical device manufacturers and, and uh, diagnostic companies, which are also considered medtech, have been, you know, they've been struggling with figuring out how can we manage our device and technology lifecycle in an efficient way. There's never really been an, a focus on providing these medtech companies with services and solutions that are designed towards that part of the life science industry. It's always been... The focus has always been on pharma, and that is largely due to the fact that you know pharma is just a, you know, I don't know how many axes, but it's a couple of axes bigger and bigger in billions of dollars of industry every you know every year. Yeah, and and I've actually seen graphs of all of the different potential ideas that kind of lead into one final pharmaceutical product. All of the work that leads up to that involves a lot of people. So it kind of makes sense yeah. a little bit when you look at it from the dollars and people perspective that work in pharma, but at the same time, the medtech life cycle or the, <laughs> the medtech industry itself, it's far reaching as well. But I, I really like that statistic you brought up about, you said 75% to how many? 95%. Wow. 95%. 95%. That's incredible. Yeah. There are small to medium medical device yeah. companies. That's incredible. At least that, those are the numbers from Europe. But I, I mean, we can we tend to be able to compare both Europe and North America with Europe in terms of market size and medtech. These are the two biggest markets. I have not to date seen numbers that specifically highlight the size of the companies, but I would assume that they would probably be similar. Might not be 95, but, you know, it, probably. It wouldn't really surprise me because, you know... It, you and I probably could start a company if we wanted to, and you know, with a small medical device, just to yeah. Um, so absolutely. Well, it's, I'd say it's easier to it's easier to innovate medical device technology because when you talk about pharmaceuticals, it's very highly, highly folk, like influenced by research, biology, chem, 
like chemistry, it's a very complex area when it come, really comes down to it. Whereas medical devices is also complex, but it's still usually something that you can, you know, build out of already existing components. Yeah. Well, not always, but you know, yeah. the, the, the way that you innovate is very different. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So if, if we, if we take a, a step back from that, okay. So that you've got the differences in pharma and medical device, um, at, I, there's obviously a gap there. What is that gap in your mind that you've seen medical device companies um, experiencing? It's it's a mm-hmm. lack of maybe maybe they they act a little bit more nimble. They're a little bit more bootstrapped. But what does that really come yeah. down to? I mean, I have my ideas, and I might, um, for example, when I was working in the industry, I can remember there's a lot of Excel based things. There's also mm-hmm. A lot of uh, maybe general based tools where you might have a general PLM or a general um, uh, document management system. You're trying to make those things talk to each other. But what is your experience and uh, what do you really see as a pain in the industry? So I am lucky enough to not have been involved specifically in medical device development, uh, but being an observer of multiple companies that are developing medical devices. And what I have seen is this is exactly the same thing. Most medtech companies have had to acquire solutions and services that facilitate their um, product design and development, production, um, clinical research, quality, regulatory, which is based from other industries, whether it's other life science industries, such as pharmaceuticals, or general industries like aviation or you know, the car automotive industry. And they're often not trying to apply technology and concepts that do not originate from EdTech, do not, you know, facilitate ISO standard compliance and so forth into their organizations simply because there's no other, you know, option. Um, and they tend to go back to using Excel or other general tools because there's simply not a viable cost-effective solution out there that is designed to facilitate the metric life cycle um, as it is. And that's really where, when I first heard about the idea of metric life cycle excellence, it, I realized that we've been working towards, and I say we, when and I'm referring to smart trial, we, we've been working towards facilitating clinical operations and clinical data management and clinical data collection for medtech companies specifically for years. But what I've come to realize is that that is just one part of the life cycle. There are numerous numerous parts of the medical device or the medtech life cycle that have exactly the same problem. They've been applying Excel or using other solutions or outdated you know, solutions in their operations to try to get by, whether it's, you know, for quality, regulatory, or anything else. And there's really not been a a, a place where everything can be aligned and and connected and integrated to facilitate um, medtech development or medtech lifecycle as it is, as it's supposed to be, you know, according to the regulations. Yeah. As it could be ideally, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. And, and, you know, there's, there's sometimes when I hear about things that uh, are coming, I think about 
Um, what, you know, what's the point? What, what are we really trying to accomplish? Are we trying to make it cheaper? Are we trying to make it easier? And obviously I think those two are, but you actually mentioned something there. You mentioned regulations and I want to mm-hmm. dive just a little bit into that um, because I mean, we've been able to meet regulations up till now. Why do we need to change anything? Does it really help? And is there anything else that maybe we could be accomplishing by, you know, achieving a med tech life cycle excellence um, you know, situation that we're that we've kind of been discussing. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> when it comes to regulations, regulatory compliance, a lot of the issues that companies um, observe during their regulatory submissions is related to how they document things. They're being challenged on how they document the products or the med te- medical technology itself might be fantastic and great. And it, it usually always comes down to the, how your regulatory submission and your technical file and how your documents look like and work and how you've told your story that, you know, that really, you know, impacts how your product will be, be perceived by the regulatory bodies. So when it comes down to looking at, you know, how can we make that more effective and how can we ensure that fewer companies will have that issue? We need to look at the whole life cycle as a as one process instead of siloed teams and siloed productions, whether it's you know design controls or quality assurance or clinical. We need to look at it from a holistic approach ah. and say, how can we first of all ensure that they communicate better? Second of all, are in line with the ISO standards that we need to comply with, because there are ISO standards that specifically have stated how we are supposed to design a medical technology, how it's supposed to be tested, how it's supposed to be documented. Why can we not facilitate that across the whole life cycle instead of just focusing on individuals? And that's where the biggest challenges come up in these companies. That's where the QA and R people have the most headaches. Like, okay, this team is going to do great, but how do we make sure that that team also is doing great and they communicate together? And that's where the stars start yeah. to align, right? It, 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 that's really where you start to think, why is there no way for all of these departments to work together so that we can create a more efficient way of producing the regulatory needed submission documents and um, you know processes that they need to be implemented to get our products to market? Yeah, we talk about that in product development sometimes, how you should involve manufacturing or involve quality so that when you're going through that design controls process, it's, you know, eventually you're going to have to pass that off to manufacturing. Eventually quality is going to have to defend that. But the other thing that I was thinking about with that is with that regulatory submission, I heard a story recently about a guy. um, he, He was so proud of his submission. This was several years ago. But he has a picture of himself standing next to a pallet of documents, all of the different things that he had to do. I don't know what exactly that device was, but sometimes we talk about high documentation. He was pretty proud of the amount of documentation. But at the same time, when you zoom out and you look at that again, that's inefficient. So maybe he gets it. Maybe he gets it submitted. Maybe he gets it passed. He's never going to be able to go back and look through those documents or update those documents as his uh, design uh, evolves. That's just one little zoomed in example. True. So I've I, really, and I've seen yeah. the same, I've seen the same problem when it comes to clinical I've seen, and I've been standing in, I've stood in a room where I've, you know, touched boxes that are the same height as myself, then include clinical data from a clinical investigation for a medical device to be 
you know, submitted for approval in an Asian-based country, and they still haven't transcribed the data yet. So they, they weren't unsure of, you know, what was what was really the outcome of our trial there. They had some idea, but they really did not have an idea. Wow. So I guess what you're right, it, it doesn't just relate to the fact that we need to be, that we need to enable cross-department cross communication and 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 uh, collaboration. It also touches on digitalization. Are medical or medtech companies too old school? Is that one of the reasons why there are so many companies that are failing and having a trouble in, in getting their submissions through and devices to market? Is that simply because they've had to rely too much on old school methods? not being digitalized enough, not being effective enough in terms of their, like you said, design controls and matching and, and change management and so forth. Yeah. And yeah. I guess that's really where, where we start talking about products. Like, okay, so what digital products, you know, can be offered in terms of enabling that tech lifecycle excellence? Yeah. I, I have my preferences, you know, <laughs> it's interesting. So I, when I was a product development or a project manager, I, you know, um, we were trying to implement a solution at one point in my career that we finally just decided, you know what, it's just too complicated. We're going to stick with what we know and whether it's efficient or not, we knew it. And uh, um, so digital is one thing, easy to use is another. And so they almost have to work together if you're really going to use have humans um, using them. Oh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, you, go ahead. You know, use ease of use has a lot to do with the fact that you haven't involved your end users well enough, or maybe haven't involved the right end users. So I think a lot of the reasons why, for example, some of the pharmaceutical solutions that have been implemented in medtech industry to date that touch upon you know, QA, RA, clinical, they often do not work because it's been designed with another different type of end user in mind. Mm. So ease of use has a lot to do with the fact, has a lot to do with focus as well. Have you developed a product that is designed to address the medtech lifecycle, or is this, a, is this a generic solution or service that is designed for the life science industry as a whole? I mean, it's, I tend to compare medtech lifecycle excellence with, you know, paint, because it's the most simplest way of, of saying, okay, you know, explaining the concept. If you were to paint a house, in different colors, you're going to make sure that your family is satisfied with the you know colors of the wall. You would not take paint that's used to paint a boat or a bathroom paint only and just wipe it on the, all the walls. You're you're buying paint that suits the wall in your ceiling. You're buying paint that suits the wall in your bathroom. You're buying paint that suits your uh, living room walls. And it is different types of paints. They're different you know consistencies and they're different you know glance you know, levels, whatever it is, that is exactly the same thing with metric, with a medical device or metric life cycles. You can't just assume that you can use, you know, one solution for everything or um, uh, try to, uh, you know, up, up, up use a pharmaceutical service or solution here and, and expect to get the same output. You need to, you need to get a hold of something that has been in, specifically designed and created to enable you to be best in what you do. And that's medical devices and med tech. Yeah. And nobody has really 
taking that approach to the medtech lifecycle as a whole. There are companies in the industry that try to do it for different things, like in the management, but nobody's really taking that approach and said, hey, let's do that for the whole life cycle instead of just focusing on silo departments. And that is something that the industry is just, is just now realizing that that's actually an ideology that can work. So medtech a lifecycle excellence. We, before we started this conversation, we were just kind of talking about a few different ideas about it. And you had mentioned uh, the three pillars in your mind that you saw as kind of supporting that. Yeah. I want to kind of, I don't, we can, I didn't mean to necessarily bring them up directly, but the industry focus and why you even need MedTech Lifecycle Excellence, obviously the things that you can have to support those focus. But then the third one is community that you had suggested. And so yeah. I wanted to talk about community. There's lots of different communities around the MedTech industry. You know, and and community mm -hmm. right there is a slippery word in in and of itself, but a place uh, for knowledge sharing and uh, um, you know just the discussion of of this type of thing. What have you seen up until now, and and what are you a part of? Um, good question. Because, like you said, there there are to explain the mathematic life cycle excellence ideology, you really, you really need to think of these three pillars. That's the focus, the services and products available, and then the community. And I think the community is one of the most important important ones to maybe start by talking about because when it really comes down to it, you can't really help um, or, or facilitate growth and development in the industry without you know, experience and insights from others. It, that's a fact. I mean, a lot of the conferences that are going on right now these days since in Europe our conference is focusing on assisting each other in ensuring MDR compliance and IVDR compliance. So no company can do this alone. Very few companies can do, do this alone. Some companies have years of experience and the right people hired to, for, for example, get through FDA or MDR compliance with any product. But most companies can't because we do not simply have enough people in the industry to be experts in everything. So if we are to facilitate a global metric lifecycle excellence, we need to facilitate communication, insight sharing, knowledge sharing, experience with each other. And we need to break down the walls of competition because every single medical technology that's available out there in the market is designed to help the individual to facilitate better health. And if we're not sharing our knowledge within the industry with each other, we're not, we're not, you know, in line with our true goals and values, are we? And when I get questions, for example, by, you know, existing customers about why should we ever participate in a community where our competitors are hearing about what we're, what we're having challenges with, I would ask the same question say, why would you not? Because if you're competitors, that's fine. But, you know, there is always a way to tweak things that you don't have to, you know, explain in detail. You don't really have to even use your own name if you don't like to, but sharing an insight and knowledge with the rest of the industry is vital for the industry to get by. And if we're going to facilitate Matic Lifecycle Excellence, we need to start thinking about how can we create communities and ways and platforms for, for people to do that. And today, there's really no like one way of doing it. I mean, we have LinkedIn, but yeah. LinkedIn, like any other social media platform, is getting flushed with 
all sorts of ads and you know newsletters and stuff like that you don't really get the news that you may be wanting to to see unless you're really active in terms of telling linkedin what you want to see we have linkedin groups we have facebook groups but those LinkedIn groups that I see, they tend to have be flooded with ads as well. And people that like to proclaim themselves as the expert in, instead of people that are looking to share knowledge. And I mean, there are conferences and, and uh, summits out there, but you know, they're, they're held maybe once or twice a year. If I am a QAI or clinical expert in the medical industry or product engineer or anything, and I have a question, I would probably start by going first to my colleagues, but if none of my colleagues know the answer to that, where do we go? Well, we go to Google, probably for first. But what if there was a space where anybody in the industry could go to and just share their ideas? And that's that's something that the industry has been lacking, I believe, in my opinion. That's where I think the Matthew Lifecycle Actions community that we're establishing right now could be a potential answer to that question. Yeah, with a specific focus on med tech itself, absolutely. I I really want that to uh, you know to be a possibility in the future where you could go to one place and have a trusted source of that information. When I was in the industry, you know, you, you would go to certain colleagues. You know, med. I don't know if you've experienced this, but in my experience, medical device companies are very, or the industry itself seems very tight knit. You brought up comp competition, you know, and the competitors and not wanting them to, to hear what you're doing. That seems to be a very um, real, I don't know if fear is the right word, but you don't really want to let other people know what you're doing necessarily. If I leave this industry for just a moment and think about a different one. So I, I had actually considered starting a bicycle company just in 2020, everybody was doing something, you know, and we're all going to do something different. And I was like, well, I'm going to make bicycles. I was shocked that Every bicycle company online gives every specification. It's the thickness of the wall, you know, the tubing, the the actual geometry, the measurements and all that sort of thing. It blew me away. And then I got to think, well, there's two things that most people cannot replicate with the best manufacturers. They can't scale to their ability. And they also don't have the quality of welding or whatever else, however yeah. you're building that bicycle. And so it made me think those are the two competitive differentiators for those companies for medical device companies, if you're truly tr achieving true quality, you know, people can follow you into the FDA with the 510K so they can still follow you and, and do those things. You may try to cover your tracks, I guess, by with your proprietary information, but a lot of times that mm -hmm. can be sort of reverse engineered. But we are we are pretty fearful of sharing our information and, and justifiably so it's a company. What are your thoughts on that? And have you have you seen any good stories? And I don't know, I, I don't mean to get, go too off track here, but. No, um, I think it's worth mentioning because I think this is, like you said, it's one of the biggest fears that most people have with sharing experiences. They, I mean, almost every single talk that I see on a conference is always, you know, starts off with a disclaimer of some sort of like, this is not the, you know, official statement for my company. This is my personal opinion alone and et cetera, et cetera. And we really need to look at a community from a different angle and say, okay, if you don't want to share enough information to, you know, that could potentially risk, you know, any competition to utilize that for their better good uh, or for their, their good. Um, how can we create a community that enables you to do that? And that could, for example, be by enabling people to ask questions anonymously or, 
enable people to be, um, for example, working in closed groups or closed uh, subgroups within the community so that that can be facilitated somehow. But in the end, we have the same question in every single industry. Like if you're a startup and you're pitching your idea, there are hundreds of people, hundreds of people that can probably steal that idea, but just by you pitching it. But like you said, you as a manufacturer, you have other uniquenesses or unique factors involved that will enable you to potentially utilize your product a lot better than the competitor will with that same information. So I think we just need to break down the barriers a little bit for people and, 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 and explain that you don't have to share everything, but you should be able to share enough um, you know, in a piece of question to be able to acquire what you need for that purpose instead of saying too much. Um, that's just, at least in my opinion. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I think um, most of the time, the things people are looking for is not competitive information. Um, so I think that could also be something just to be, just, as you focus, yeah. as you look to help people or get that information yourself, um, mm-hmm. most of the things that we're asking about are things that other people have struggled with as well. Not necessarily something that's very specific to your product, although that could be the case. So yeah. true. But um, again, getting back to your question about other communities you've seen out there and what are you, or what are we seeing mm-hmm. now? Um, I think when it really comes down to it, we, we need to uh, we need to start utilizing the expertise and knowledge that we have within different areas of the medtech industry in a different way than we've done before. Because most of the information that we've been sharing with each other have been at conferences where we're holding lectures. The, there's really no way for people to ask questions specifically about like a very specific issue or problem or challenge. And that tends to be the most popular thing at every single conference. People get a chance to ask specific questions. And I've, I've heard so many ridiculous specific questions being asked at the conferences where the lectures is just like, you know, I won't be able to answer that. But if we can create a community online that enables people to do that, that will be a game changer. I mean, you, first of all, you don't you don't have to pay for it because even though you would find a consultant that would that was willing to take on your questions and you have to pay for them, that's just one one person. But in a community, you can ask a question to a group of individuals that might have that same question before. So the spread is just a lot bigger, and I think slowly. If we continue building this ideology, we continue facilitating this community and we bring in more people, I think it will automatically mature into something that will, you know, become alive and become more of something that, uh, you know, the industry will be able to cope with. People are just always afraid of change. And this is just, you know, the competition question is just one change factor that we need to take into account and, and try to figure out how we can facilitate that. You know, one simple way to facilitate it is just being able, enabling people to ask anonymous questions. That's how Facebook yeah. is tackling it right now with groups, for example. Yeah, that makes sense. And yeah, those those specific things on how we can do that 
I'll, I'll put a link in the show notes to our community so that people can go check that out. I'd love to hear, hear any feedback. And if it's in line with what we're talking about, if it needs to change, I'd love to hear it either way. One of the other things that I was going to mention about that, though, so with uh, this medtech lifecycle excellence, this ideology that we're talking about, we kind of mentioned, well, you know, there's 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 the past and and how we're maybe the med tech life cycle or the med tech industry is sort of living a little bit in the past. Maybe they're old school. I like that phrase, but also there's, there are uh, things that are coming around that are, but yeah, that maybe are connecting the industry. What I would be interested to hear is we've talked a little bit about the past. Where do you think we are currently? And where do you think you'd really love to see the med tech industry go? I think that, the industry has changed a lot just in the past two, three years. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that the MDR has come into force mm. because the MDR in Europe introduces a lot of new additional requirements that basically eliminate the possibility of you being able to operate and to create your technical file only on paper, for example, most, or, you know, you know, in a, or using old school based methods. Um, there are solutions popping up every year that now claim to be able to do this and that digitally uh, to support you know this part of the life cycle and that part of the life cycle. Um, and I think companies in the medtech industry are starting to notice them and starting to implement them. You know, one of the solutions that a lot of the medtech industry has has started implementing, and which is probably one of the first digital solutions, is probably the EQMS, you know, concept. Sure. Um, document management and so forth. Now, in our industry, in the clinical operations, in the last two, three years, many of the medtech companies that are starting in the first studies or um, continuing supporting the devices out there in the market have started to implement digital solutions as well. So I think the industry is becoming more digitalized than it was before, definitely. That's where we are right now. Going forth, I would say within the next five years, we're going to see an even bigger change with companies looking to um, stop si buying siloed solutions. And we're seeing this trend already in the clinical world where they're not, where companies that have conducted studies realize that they're, they're not going to use this system for that, for, for patient reported outcomes, which is like a question tool for clinical investigations. And they're going to use another vendor for uh, physician questionnaires or ECRF. They want a solution that does both. So if we're already there within clinical and EQMS already tackles a little bit on you know, document management, change control and CAPAS already as well, where we're combining things together, wouldn't the next step then be within the next five years to have not only that, but also the parts of clinical work together with reporting functionalities and document management, working with design controls and risk, and then also product strategy design and and regulatory management and intelligence in terms of post-market surveillance and document control, uh, uh, references to predicate and equivalence, stuff like that. Does not make sense to start looking towards that? And I think most people probably not to that ideology because it does not facilitate growth to keep everything siloed. You need to enable integrations between those teams and between those departments. And so I think within the next five years, we'll definitely see more companies look towards doing that implementing solutions that are tackling the process, the life cycle as a whole, instead of individual departments or silos. 
I'm going to go back to the beginning of what you were talking about there, because I, I should have interjected. I, that was really interesting when you said the EUMDR is is pr- almost forcing some of this change. And mm-hmm. A lot of the reaction I've seen from, you know, maybe U.S.-based companies is, uh, you know, well, we've decided to let our CE mark up. We're just not even going to go. It's too, it's too difficult. But the fact that you brought that up, that difficulty is forcing a change in the industry, potentially forcing streamlining, which I think you're probably, I've never really thought about it like that, but I think you're right. Um, That's really kind of interesting. You know, I'll leave my opinions out about whether, but that's really, uh, that's really interesting. It is is a, it is a competitor factor as well. I mean, there are companies, like you said, there are US companies or companies outside of Europe that will make decisions on, you know, pulling the products out of the market mm-hmm. where there will be a gap for other competitors to come in and, and gain market share. Um, but when it really comes down to it, I don't think the EU MDR really is driving all of the chains. I think some of this is also influenced by just the general predictioners and patients and buyers realizing that in order to use a medical technology, we need to be a little bit more, um, we need to start questioning more what is wrong, what is right, what is good, what is actually not good. You can't really rely solely on regulators to do that for you, which is also why a lot of, for example, buyers you know, in, in Western healthcare systems are starting to focus on value-based care. A value-based care has everything to do with how well is the product performing out in the market? How well is the product performing based on what you've sold us on? And that requires an extensive approach towards, you know, efficiency and safety when it comes to product development design, and the, which is a big part of the life cycle. So I, that is something that's also happening in Europe. There's a lot of buyers focusing more on that, and that which might be not might not have nothing to do with CMR, but it's introducing changes that influence the EUMDR to mm-hmm. become what it what it is, for example. Yeah. And we're already seeing FDA doing something similar with post-market surveillance being increased. You know, so it's not only the regulator regulation change, but this and what's happening in the industry that has influenced that change. And it's very needed. And I'm I'm really glad that it's happening too, because I actually had friends, and I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but um, maybe they they looked at those regulations and they said, "Well, you know, I I love the medical device industry, but this is just too much for me." You know, the different uh, solutions and things like that they were having to deal with. They might go, they I know some people have gone to SpaceX, some people have gone to Tesla, some people have gone to these other mm-hmm. industries because they want they want to do big things. They want to they want to focus on their talents where they really belong. You know, engineering and and design. But we want people in the medtech industry saving people's lives. And so if this is going to keep the talent in the industry or draw more talent, I really think it, it has the potential to do that, to truly achieve a medtech lifecycle excellence, You know, achieve that ideology to where um, the things that you're focusing on are a holistic approach. That's that's the, the indiv- individual contributor level. But it, if you look at it from an entire company level and the, uh, the holistic product life cycle that's uh i I think it's huge and it is huge like you said because you know since green like guru announced 
our new initiative to become the leading medical lifecycle excellence platform in the world, I've had a lot of questions from my community and my network asking me, what is that specifically? Because this ideology has never been presented to the industry before. The people have a people are having um having to digest the idea because it's not something that we've been able to, you know, offer to the metric industry, you know, and it's in, in the state that we're thinking of it. Mm. So, but we we can we can compare this to other industries as well, because if you really think about it, you know, this is very similar to what, for example, companies like Airbnb or Uber is doing. They're cutting out all the middlemen. They're they're taking on an industry that is well established, but they're lacking the common framework to facilitate flexible transport. I mean, Uber started with you know only transporting individuals, but now they're doing you know food and deliveries as well. Like, why can we not offer a solution that is also you know tackling clinical and quality and regulatory and document management, design control as well? Why does it have to be siloed across different vendors and services? that are focusing on different things because for example you know you you wouldn't ask dhl to deliver your food right you would want somebody that is designed something specifically a service around delivering food but you don't want only uh, to to hire somebody that can only deliver food only you want somebody that has knowledge of transportation of you know people you know different cooling environments you know they have the platform around it that can facilitate that to be effective and you know price, you know, priced according to what we expect it to be and so forth. So this is a trend that we're seeing across many parts of other industries. It's just had this is just the first time we're trying to apply the same ideology towards medtech. Well, I'm excited for the future. And I was talking to Daniel Kraft recently about digital health. And I said, what do you think the future is You know, about this? He's like, I think the future's here. And I don't know if we can 100% say that in this aspect necessarily, but I think it's very close and it's coming and I'm excited to see that, see it come. So Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. Okay, so I'll like I said, I'll put in the show notes the community, how you can find our community and maybe talk to us about what we can do to make this a reality. What parts have we not thought about? I'd love to hear any thoughts on this conversation. If you have, you can message Yon as well. However, you'd like to reach him. We'll put links yeah, as well to get to him. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, we'll put some links in. That's fine. So, yeah. All right. Thank you. Anything else you want to leave with our listeners today? Any one big takeaway you'd like them to, to remember? Well, if there's anything, I would suggest people to reach out to their peers in the industry through your community. Take a look at that because I really believe that what we're building and what you started uh, with the Medical Life Cycle Actions community earlier this year is going to make a big change for a lot of people. So I, I would highly suggest that people take a look at it because some of the content that I've seen so far has been very, very interesting. So we've only just, you know, take a look at it, see what you feel about it. And then, you know, you can make a decision after that. Yeah, I think you're right. We've scratched the surface, but there's a lot more to come. So I'm excited. Uh, I'm excited for the future. Definitely. All right. Thank you so much for being with us. Um, thank you for listening. Uh, you've been listening to the Global Medical Device Podcast, and uh, we will see you all next time. Thanks, Adrian. Take care. Thank you so much for listening. Just a few of the points I took away from the conversation were, to date, 
a large portion of the culture and tools of the life science industry, even for med tech companies, they seem to have been driven by pharmaceutical companies, but that is changing. And it's interesting to see how that's changing the industry. We need to look at the entire life cycle of a medical device instead of just focusing on single individual processes or teams. Too often, regulatory submissions come down to how you tell your story, not necessarily how fantastic your device is. Looking at the entire life cycle process and using a holistic approach to documentation and the implementation of those different design ideas will make this a much easier process. If you enjoyed this episode, reach out to Yon on LinkedIn. As I mentioned, he has the heart of a teacher. He'd love to hear from you. He'd love to answer your questions. Let him know. Also, I'd personally love to hear from you via email, etienne.nichols at greenlight.guru, or look me up on LinkedIn. You can learn all about what we do if you head over to www.greenlight.guru. We're the only medtech lifecycle excellence platform servicing the medtech industry. And on top of that, we built both a community and an academy where you can go to join the conversation or learn more about the things we discuss on this podcast. You can find those at community.greenlight.guru or academy.greenlight.guru. Finally, if you enjoyed this show, please consider leaving us a review on iTunes. It helps others find us. It also lets us know how we're doing. Thanks again. Y'all are the best. Have a good weekend. The medical device industry is nothing if not unique. So we built software that works the same way. Greenlight Guru is the only quality management system designed by medical device professionals to meet the unique needs of medical device companies. Our cloud-based platform allows companies to bring safer products to market up to three times faster while reducing risk and lowering cost. Visit www.greenlight.guru today to request your free personalized demo of Greenlight Guru.